0: VR is taking the world by storm. Well, okay, maybe not by storm. It's an aggressive drizzle at best, but still, it's an important to take an umbrella, and that's right about where this metaphor falls apart. Regardless, we've got the world's foremost expert in VR. Okay, maybe he's not the world's foremost expert, but, he, you know, he's a solid top 50. Whatever, he's smart, I'm an idiot, it's the Benefit of a Doubt Podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host Adam Dowd, and this week we're talking about VR and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that I've done like three shows based on VR and I haven't even hit 30 episodes yet and that's like more than 10% at this point. And my response would be that I'm super impressed with how well you're paying attention and with your quick math skills. Kudos bro. But maybe you're getting sick of VR shows and well, You know, sorry, not sorry, folks. I'm a VR kid and it's my show. But seriously, this is probably the last we'll talk about VR for a while. So just muscle through. I promise it's a great conversation. But first, we have to get to the news of the week. First off, an announcement or reminder, whatever you want to call it. Next week comes my full review of the Google Pixel 4a, and you'll recall that I asked you for questions for the you review segment, and this is your last call. I'll not be taking any questions past September 10th, so if you have any questions you want answered, specifically you, these are questions from you. Go to benefitofadoubt.com slash contact, or hit me up on Twitter, either at Dead Technology or Benefit of Doubt. DMs are open. I think this could be a cool segment and i'm hoping to get a few more questions in before the deadline once again that's benefit of contact or dm me on twitter at dead technology or benefit of doubt this is an opportunity for you to make your voice heard do it and now funny story but our first two stories for this news week actually came from last week. You'll recall last week I mentioned that my kids started online learning last week, which meant I was sitting at my desk every morning at 8 a.m. because they were at their desks every morning at 8 a.m., and someone's got to keep those two from killing each other. So the good news is, because of that, I was way more ahead of everything than I normally was throughout the summer. bad news is I missed out on most of Friday's news because I'd already written it and recorded it by then, so (laughs) whoops. Anyway, that's not going to be a problem this week, but we're going to start off our week with the end of last week when Amazon debuted its new Halo, a screenless activity tracker and app that's designed to promote a more healthy lifestyle. And there's a lot more here, but the two hero features are the two that are the most humorous, so that's what we're going to focus on. The first is a body fat calculator that Amazon gives you by having you strip down to your skivvies and then take photos of yourself. Wait a minute, I think I've seen this movie, and usually the guy gets impeached. But seriously, you take four photos of yourself, and Amazon creates a body fat model of yourself so that you can look at it and slide a slider up and down to see what you would look like if you could lay off the goddamn potato chips every once in a while. The photos are uploaded to Amazon servers to do the heavy lifting calculations, but then they're deleted off the servers after no more than 12 hours. (laughs) And by the way, Amazon, a lot can happen to data in 12 hours, I'm just saying. But it also doesn't help that the dude in his 50s that they had demoed this is in better shape than I was when I was a teenager. The second big feature is voice detection, which the Halo can use to determine what kind of mood you were in throughout the day. It then lets you know through the app that you were elated at 10.30 a.m. when you first asked your son to cut the grass. At 12.30, when you asked him again, you were happy. Then at 4.30, when you asked him to cut the grass again, you were irritated. And at 8.30, when it was too damn dark out to cut the damn grass, you were angry. No kidding. I don't need an Amazon band to tell me that. The Halo will cost $99 when it's released to the general public, and the special features I outlined will require a $399 subscription because it's not about the camera people, it's about the film. Honestly, the bag full of privacy concerns alone on this device kind of make it a non-starter for me. But I guess if you want a fitness tracker that's not really for fitness, then you can pick up the Halo when it becomes available. And by the way, this is an invite-only system, so we have no idea when that will be. Awesome. Well, boy, TikTok is in for a ride. Not only has Oracle joined the bidding war to buy the Chinese social media company, but now Microsoft and Walmart are teaming up in a joint bid to buy the service. Meanwhile, you remember the nice white bread American CEO of TikTok that came over from Disney to show how red, white, and blue the service was? Yeah, he just took his ball and went home. When he found out that his CEO ship would turn into a COO ship at ByteDance, Dance and he'd have to move to China, he was like... Nah, I'm out. Fair point, but as The Verge is so quick to point out, <laughs> how did you not see this coming? Still, The Verge actively wonders if whatever company picks up TikTok can keep the flow going with a stiff competition from Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and every other company Mark Zuckerberg owns. And come to think of it, why isn't Facebook bidding on this? Anyway, TikTok is a game changer, so it'll be interesting to see if Micromart or wallow or whatever can keep the ball rolling. My daughter is hoping so. Donald Trump? Maybe not so much. It's funny how things that you're really big fans of can come back and bite you in the butt. So learned the FBI when in 2017 it went to serve a warrant on a suspect and the suspect wasn't home. But the suspect did see the feds approach in their video doorbell and they were able to call a landlord and a neighbor. So, whoops. And the reason that this is so ironic is because in the past, Ring especially has actively partnered with police departments across the country to actively give away free Ring doorbells and get the community of Ring users to share their videos with police, which police loved. All of which led to my opinion piece on Digital Trends, which is headlined, Police Love Video Doorbells Except When Doorbells Video Police. Man, I just kill it on headlines sometimes. But there is a bigger concern here. With smart home tech and cameras, because they're not only so cheap, but also easy to install, there are concerns that police could be endangered by smartly placed $50 smart cameras. So that sucks, but I guess you can't have your video doorbell cake and eat it too. Man, I really need to go back to metaphor college. So there's a thing going around the tech YouTube space where bloggers are only allowed to talk about the physical hardware of the Surface Duo, but not the software or basically anything else. It's all under embargo. So all the videos that we're seeing are unboxings and hey, doesn't this phone look nice and wouldn't it look even nicer if the screen was actually turned on? Juan Bagnell, friend of the show, wrote a smart piece about the phenomenon about Microsoft very smartly controlling the narrative when it comes to the Surface Duo and this headline is the result of that. Does the Surface Duo fit in a pants pocket? Let's find out. That's the headline from Windows Central. And while I sense a tongue firmly planted in cheek with that story, this really is kind of sad that this is what the coverage of the Microsoft's innovative new dual-screen, definitely-not-a-phone device has come to. Rumor has it it's because the rest of the phone is, well, let's just say it's not awesome. But we're still waiting for that embargo to lift before reviewers can tell us how not awesome it is. If you're looking for the smartest guy in the room pertaining to all things Apple, look no further than friend of the show, Renee Ritchie. Hey, I know him. He broke down everything about what's going on with Epic and Apple, with a predictably Apple slant. He is who he is, after all. But all the same, Rene breaks down the whole situation and how it could potentially be resolved. But most importantly, he uses a particular comparison which had me laughing and clapping my hands. And I won't spoil it, but yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. You'll know it when you hear it. So check out the link in the show notes and prepare to roll on the floor. The Mandalorian Season 2 is coming right before Halloween on October 30th. We don't really know a lot about what Season 2 will entail, but whatever it is, Baby Yoda will be there. It seems the only ones these days not calling the child Baby Yoda is Disney, and I think that's likely because that this child isn't actually a Baby Yoda. It's probably a baby from Yoda's race, but who cares? It's adorable as hell. Thank you, John Favreau, for the gift that is the Mandalorian and for not making him Boba Fett, because I'm sorry, listeners... Boba Fett is overrated, and before I piss you all off even more, I'm just gonna leave that right there and walk away. Android Authority has a video from Vivo of a phone whose glass backplate changes colors on demand. It's really trippy and probably not appropriate for an audio-only podcast, but it is kinda neat. Except once you consider that most people are just gonna slap a case on that phone, so no one's gonna see what color the backplate is anyway. I'm not criticizing, it's genuinely cool tech, but if that's gonna kick up the price of a device, I'd rather just not have it. Or make the backplate something even cooler, like an e-ink display That can stay like a picture or something. Now that would be cool and probably adversely affect battery life. And you should just shut up about it now, Adam, because you're saying stupid things again. Oh, and talking to yourself, I might add, shut up. Nobody asked you. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so the back of the phone changes color using electrochromic glass, seemingly on demand. There are two videos of it on Android Authority, and it is pretty neat, so I'm not going to complain. It'll be fun to show off at parties, at the very least, when we can all have parties again, and Jesus Christ is 2020 over yet. Did you know Star Trek Day was a thing? I didn't know it was a thing, and it's not like May the 4th be with you, (laughs) but it's actually like an event that CBS is putting on on CBS All Access with, like, panels of people from the shows and everything. Now, I am a Star Trek fan, arguably more than I'm a Star Wars fan, even though I won't be sitting through the Star Trek panels and stuff like that on September 8th, which, by the way, is when Star Trek Day is apparently. Don't get me wrong, I know there are a ton of people out there who live and die by this stuff. (laughs) Michael Fisher! And I'm not going to blame them one iota. It's arguably better and further reaching and more relevant universe of the two between Star Wars and Star Trek, especially of late, as the saying goes... At least we don't pretend that six out of the nine movies didn't happen. Plus, I stand by my opinion that Insurrection is the best Trek movie, and the Borg are very overrated. And if you made me choose between DS9 and Star Trek Voyager for a full rewatch and I wasn't allowed to do anything else before it was done, I'd choose Voyager. Come at me. Anyway, if you're listening to this the day of release or the day after, it's on Tuesday, September 8th, so feel free to jump in and be nerdy. I will not judge you. Mario is currently celebrating his 35th birthday, which, okay, yep, definitely now I feel old. But Nintendo had a few surprise announcements, all of which I don't have time to cover in this news segment. But the most wild of which was Super Mario Kart Live Home Circuit. This is a Nintendo Switch racing game where you can drive an actual car, like a physical actual car, around your house there's a camera on the RC car that transmits back to your Switch. But that's not all. Your car reacts to power-ups and obstacles, as in it stops and gets speed boosts. But that's still not all. Superimposed on the display of your Switch are other augmented reality racers that you race against and throw obstacles at and all that. But even that is not all, because you can buy multiple RC cars and have more than one player running the race with you. This is next level crazy stuff and there's a video in the link down the show notes that it kind of lays it all out. Now, first of all, I'm skeptical as hell that this thing is going to work as well in the real world as it works on the video. I just think that's a lot of moving pieces, literally, to all be working together. But this is pretty cool, and it's being sold for $100, which is actually kind of lower than I expected. But but then again, this is a low-powered RC car with a $250 controller sold separately, so I guess there is kind of that. Overall, I don't think I'll be getting one for one reason and one reason only— I have two kids, and my house is way too messy to set up any kind of racing game in it. Hell, I can't even have a robot vacuum, let alone something that requires straightaways. Kids are great, aren't they? I like the way this article puts it. Before Chris Evans was even cast as Captain America, there was a secret Avengers game in development that no one ever got to play cnet has the story of an avengers game under development at thq studios in australia and it's a romp folks actually romp might be putting too positive a spin on it check out the whole article because it's a great read and there's some previously unreleased gameplay footage in there that actually looks really killer this was a first person four-player game where players could be iron man the hulk Captain America or Thor sorry Black Widow and Hawkeye and you would team up and take on a bunch of baddies with the Hulk ripping creatures apart Iron Man blasting them with pulse blasters Thor bashing things with his hammer and Captain America throwing his glorified frisbee. The development process involved one guy beating a file cabinet with an umbrella and someone telling another developer just put down the knife we'll go outside and figure this out. I knew that game development was a high-stress job but damn... Anyway, the whole story is an amazing read, so hit the link in the show notes and give it a look. And finally, this week near LAX, pilots were coming in for a landing when some guy in a jetpack showed up and started flying near the planes at about 3,000 feet or so. Because of course he was. And probably my favorite part of this whole exchange is right at the beginning tower, American nineteen ninety seven. We just passed a guy in a jetpack. American nineteen ninety seven, okay, thank you. Were they up here? Left side or right side? Off the left side of uh, maybe uh, three hundred yards or so? don't know. Like, uh hey tower, I'm about to land and there's a guy in a jetpack up here. Huh. Okay. A jetpack. What side again? And I really have to appreciate the demeanor of the tower guy, like Okay, this is weird, but I'm going to roll with it and see if we can fix this. And they do. Several other planes reported the jetpack guy, and now the FBI is investigating, because as cool as it is to know that there's a guy with a jetpack out there somewhere that can climb to 3,000 feet, doing that around an airport is dangerous as all hell, both for the jetpack guy and for the planes themselves. They won't even let you fly drones within five miles of an airport. Jetpacks are definitely off the menu. And the thing is... I can't remember who said this but someone did and it wasn't me but the thing is jetpacks are flown by smart people as a general rule like the people that can actually put a jetpack together and or fly one have to be on the intelligence side so what the hell are they doing at an airport it's just so weird and so stupid but mostly weird and i kind of want the feds to catch him not only so they can identify him or her, sorry ladies, but I want to know who it is so we can try to figure out why such a smart person can be so incredibly stupid. Only in LA. You probably shop at Amazon, right? Sure you do. I shop there. Honestly, way more than I probably should. Fortunately, there's a great way that you can do what you do and help out the show at the same time. If you visit benefitofadao.com support, you'll find a link to my store on Amazon. Click on the link and voila, you're at Amazon. So go ahead and search up something and if you buy it, I might get a small commission and it won't cost you anything extra. There are more great options for helping me out at BenefitofADOW.com support. That's BenefitofADOW.com support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at BenefitofADOW.com support. I hope you visit. I hope you go shopping. And as always, I thank you for listening. On this week's Tech Yeah segment, we have a trio of charging tech from Anchor, and they've all made my life quite a bit easier. The first up is the Anker PowerWave Alloy Pad. It's a 15-watt wireless charger that connects with a USB Type-C connection. Believe it or not, it's the first wireless charger that I've gotten that actually connects with a USB Type-C connector. The PowerWave Alloy Pad is a black disc with a silicone ring around it that grips the phone in place, and it's really fast at wireless charging. But if I'm totally honest, it's also kind of finicky with the coils. The LG V60 can sometimes take a few placements to get everything to line up just right. The base is made of aluminum which gives the charging stand a really premium look and feel. The unit I have is black so it goes with just about everything and I use this thing like every day. The second is a GAN charger. I've talked about GAN in the past. This GAN charger is a slim boy, black with a textured outside covering. It has one USB Type-C output capable of 45 watts of charging. 45 watts isn't the most you'll find on the market these days, but the plug itself is very slim it's just .8 inches thick with a plug that folds up into the body. If you need a high wattage charger, GAN is the way to go, and this is a good choice. Finally, Anchor sent me the 10,000 mAh PowerCore 3 Sense 10K Charger. This one has two outputs, USB Type-A and USB Type-C, capable of power delivery at 18 watts. The version I have is blue, but it also comes in coral, which is hot looking. If you dig pink, that is. The outside is covered with a fabric feel, which makes it nice to hold, and it's super slim for 10,000 mAh, so it just easily slips into a backpack pocket. All three of these devices are linked on benefitofedow.com, so you can pick them up there. I recommend them if you happen to be in the market. And as always, if you pick one up from my link, I'll get a small commission as an Amazon associate, but it doesn't cost you anything extra. But you are helping out the show, and I thank you. Our next guest on the podcast has interests that intersect with many of my own, including cycling, weight loss, though I'm definitely the before and he's the after, and a severe and ongoing case of imposter syndrome, and Star Trek. But his most passionate profession is in the world of VR. He's so dedicated to the platform that he once spent 24 hours working under a Microsoft HoloLens, like you know, doing normal job things, but in a headset. When he's not wearing a VR headset, he's wearing his signature blue-rimmed glasses as a managing editor at Mobile Nations, Russell Holly, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you. It's awesome to have you here, and very excited. And and fun fact for my listeners, this is not the first time that you and I have talked over the over
1: podcast airwaves. So it is true. This is our. Th- I think third time, yeah, uh, but definitely the first time for this.
0: Yeah, so the first time I remember talking to you was way back in the tech days. So that's
1: right. That yeah. was uh,
0: that was some time ago, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's great to it's great to have you back. And like you know, VR is a passion of mine as well. So and I've been doing like this whole series, kind of like an ongoing series of like state of Android, state of Apple's, and so it's it's about time to start talking about some VR because uh, VR is here and it's it's it's. Not insignificant. So um, so the first question I wanted to ask you was, have you beaten all the new Lincoln Park tracks on Beat Saber yet?
1: I have. I have I have achieved a hard rank on all 11 tracks. Nice. Uh, which was uh, kind of fun. I was fortunate enough uh, that the folks at Oculus actually gave me the songs a few days early. Oh, although, fancy. Although, regrettably, they gave them to me on Saturday night. <laughs> Uh, so I had had a few too many drinks to try them Saturday night and instead waited uh, because I have learned that Beat Saber and alcohol do not mix for me. Uh, so I waited until Sunday morning uh, and uh, and kind of swept myself to death playing through uh, all 11 of those songs. And I, I it is there is a moment uh, where, in the hard rank for all of those things, I was ranked one globally. Nice! Um, and that was because... Only five of us had ever played. Uh, had been playing, <laughs> um, so really low bar. Right, but uh, it's a thing that happened, uh, and I'm pretty sure that two of those accounts were quality assurance testers at Oculus. Nice, uh, nice. so super super low bar, but uh, but it happened.
0: Okay. You know, one of the questions that I wanted to ask is, um, you know, gaming's taken over a large part of the consumer VR market, and I'm just wondering, is that doing more to advance or hold back the VR market in general?
1: Well, so I I think about it this way: I think that having the VR headset as a as a gaming first platform means that there are a lot more creative people who are likely to pick it up and experiment. Okay. Um, you know, if, if this was a, uh, you know, a kind of corporate first experience, like you see with HoloLens or with some of the the more professional VR, uh, you know, tools, um, then, then fewer people who just have a, like, hey, this is a fun idea kind of thing would pick it up. Um, and the reason that that's important right now uh, is we're starting to see some really clever modalities and and kind of movement choices and stuff come from people who are learning from like a bare minimum how to implement that that cool idea. So like uh, for example, the guy behind Rick and Morty, okay, uh, whose whose name now escapes me. Um, He's done just a a ton of different things. He actually started a VR gaming company because he picked up an Oculus Rift and went into Tilt Brush and realized that he could just craft this entire three-dimensional environment and he spent just days... Like on a ladder in some cases, because this was back before you could scale things in Tilt Brush. Okay. He like he like had a had a massive uh, living room that he just cleared all the furniture out of, <laughs> and got up on a ladder and just made these towering structures inside of Tilt Brush that you could just kind of wander around like this giant digital museum that he had made. And he was so profoundly moved by that that he he actually just p- put a ton of his Rick and Morty money into uh, starting this uh, this this game. Company that now has two really popular VR titles, one of which is called Trover Saves the Universe. Okay, uh, which is which is now not. I think it's not in the. I think it's in like the top twenty-five or something. But it, it just came to PlayStation VR and is is super popular. Um, but because of that story, uh, one of the guys from Sony who was working on a video game uh, building lab where you could kind of build your own game designs uh, inside of this really kind of trippy uh, system called Dreams. Okay, uh, And the whole idea is that you can kind of go and, like, make your own game inside of this game, and then you can give that game to other people to play. Um, because of the work that Justin Roiland, is his name, by the way, uh, did with, uh, with this, uh, this Trover Saves the Universe and, and his story for how he got there, Dreams actually got a PlayStation VR mode. Uh, and so now mm. there are people all over the world who are using the PlayStation VR to actually build VR games from within their headset and I think that wouldn't have happened if the platform didn't have a gaming-first, I uh, you know, kind of. If, if the platform wasn't gaming first, those people probably never would have gotten as involved as they are now. Okay.
0: Yeah. So so that's that makes a lot of sense. And that's a fascinating story. I'd never heard that before. So thanks very much for sharing that with me. And it kind of makes you think like the Tilt Brush people, when they heard that story about like getting out a ladder and like clearing out his living room, they probably thought to themselves, man, there's got to be an easier way. <laughs> Oh yeah, and that's
1: that's why we now have scaling mode. You can take you know from inside of uh, Tilt Brush, you can now take the, your hands and grab uh, kind of the middle buttons, and and almost like you're almost like you're grabbing the universe and and squishing it down into a smaller size. Right. Uh, you bring the controllers closer to yourself, and it and it kind of shrinks everything down in scale. And because yeah. of that, there's uh, there's a VR artist. Uh, if if anyone is feeling like on uh, Twitter, her name is Rosie Summers, and she does these incredible. Uh, Artscape things from inside Tilpra. She publishes them every couple of days, and they're just incredibly talented uh, things that she can walk through and show you. Uh, I think the most recent of which was uh, one of the more recent shuttle launches. Uh, okay. She actually took a screenshot of one of the recent uh, shuttle launches as it was entering, or as it was leaving the atmosphere, and, and the primary booster was detaching, and the rest of the rocket was going into space. She actually captured that moment in VR, in Tilt Brush, that someone can now import and walk around. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and it, it's just incredibly dynamic and clever. And, and uh, yeah, so the, the work that has been done in Tilt Brush to make it something that artists can just build incredible things with uh i I have a strong appreciation for you know that kind of reminds me
0: of that scene i don't remember what episode it was but in star trek where uh they're watching the uh, warp core explosion in like super duper slow motion yeah that's right picard draws that little smiley face in there and starts yeah okay so um yeah that's 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 amazing so i'll definitely have to check her out and there will be a link in the show notes of course so this this next question is kind of a multi part question. Is VR still a niche niche product? And if so, what does it need to get out of the niche? And beyond that, does it need to be get get out of a niche of being a niche product in the first
1: place? VR is 100 still a niche product. Okay. Uh, as much as uh, as much as the fans kind of inside of that bubble would like to to you know dream of a world where otherwise, uh, it's it's still definitely something that. Uh, you know, you you have to see to believe, and, right. and that is kind of the that that kind of answers your second question. Is it was what people need in order to uh, in order to escape that that thing? That the two things really are are price and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and price prices come down quite a bit over the last two years. Oh, Oculus yeah. in particular has worked really hard to. You know, we used to have thousand dollar headsets, and now we have four hundred dollar headsets. Uh, and, and there's a new oculus headset on the horizon that has been rumored to be even lower than four hundred dollars really? uh, when, when it drops nice uh, over over the next couple of months. Um, so price is something that the industry has been trending towards and that the adoption rate for that is has been dramatic as a result mm-hmm. uh, but the understanding is still the the biggest hurdle for any VR uh, anything um, is I can make dozens of people. At a time, fall in love with a VR headset just by just by being like, "Hey, put this thing on and try this thing." Mm-hmm. And I know because I have for the last five years brought VR headsets with me to birthday parties and tech events and and just all of these things. And and you know, anytime I give someone a headset, uh, within a couple of weeks they're they're like, "Hey, so I'm looking up prices for this," right? <laughs> um, and and like you know, go into to try and, and kit something out of it. And this is these are everything ranging from non techy people. Uh, to to you know like huge nerds who are who are just like you know this is something I, I absolutely need in my life. Oh yeah. Uh, but the, the answer to your question there, the the biggest hurdle for entering the mainstream, uh, is, is being able to show people why this thing is cool without putting it on their head. Right. Um, especially right now in, in, you know, the the quarantine where I can't go to someone's house and be like, hey, 10 different random strangers who are probably sweaty and gross. Try this on all one after the other. Right. Um, that, that I can't do that right now. But.
0: Yeah, that's not going to go over There's well.
1: not a convenient way. There's not a successful way uh, yet. Um there are some services that are trying, like Live. Uh, if you see the, the like the Oculus, if you see like going back to Beat Saber, you see the Beat Saber trailers, and you can see the person with the lightsabers, and and they're you know they're doing the thing. That's getting there. It's closer. Yeah. Um, but y- until we can show someone why VR is cool in a way that they get without putting the headset on, um, I think it's probably still going to be pretty niche for a while. You know, once once they've solved that, and there there are a couple different ways that people are trying. But once once you combine that. You know, the, the, that snap moment where someone goes, oh, I get it. Once you can do that outside of the headset and the price point is is reasonable enough, then I think that's when this stops being a niche product.
0: Enjoying this interview?
1: Did you know that there are over 10 more minutes of
0: time where we talked that ended up on the bonus version? The full interview is available to all of my patrons right now over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like access to my Discord, early podcasts, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. And if you don't want to be a patron, that's okay too. Full interviews become available at the beginning of each new month. So, for example, trimmed interviews in January will have the full versions on February first. I don't want you to miss out. Just head over to patreon.com/benefitofthedowd, and you can listen to the full interviews even if you don't subscribe. Because I still want you to love the show. There are more great options for helping me out at slash support That's slash support You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadoubt.com support. I hope you visit. I hope you take in some full interviews. And as always, I thank you for listening. So like, how did we go from, say, like the Microsoft HoloLens? How do we go from like you know, a, a tech demo where aliens are bursting through couches. How, how do how did we get to where we are today, where we have fully wireless? Like we went from we went from an area where like you had to have like a computer with like super long cables, and like now we're getting a much more stripped down version with the Oculus Quest. So you actually
1: said something there that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the words that you said, you may not have even done it intentionally, but you called it a stripped down experience. Right. Um, and and it is it is exactly that we the, when when Oculus uh, and and HTC both uh, to their to their mutual credit uh, started doing research into what it was people wanted you know when when HTC first started building uh, these spaces. For for their Vive demos, they had this kind of minimum space. Like it had to be ten foot by twelve foot, mm-hmm. and we wanted everything to be super hyper accurate, so that any movement that you made was perfectly tracked. the The Vive tracker accessories are designed to be clipped to your elbows and your knees and your hips, so that you get this full body articulation when you move around. It's super accurate, and when you put it on, it's really cool. But it's also four thousand dollars, right? Uh, to to make all of that happen, right? Uh, so Oculus saw all of that and went okay. Okay, so what are the parts of this that actually matter to the people who are in the headset right now? And they started doing a lot of user-based surveys, uh, and and those user-based surveys said that what they what people really wanted was just the the lowest friction uh, entry possible. So how quickly can I put the headset on and start jamming and go, and start yeah. playing, and have there be just nothing in the way? Um, and every step Oculus took uh, meant some kind of uh, sacrifice being made. So like HTC was like, cool. You guys don't want you you don't want to deal with the cables. That's fine. We have this super high end wireless system uh, that you can use. It'll it, as long as you have line of sight with this special dish that we connect to your your router. <laughs> then you get you know this this th- all of the video in in 4K or higher. Right. You know, beamed from your computer to your uh to your your headset. There's there's barely any latency. Like we've done just a tremendous amount of work here. Um, and again, it's now four thousand dollars. Right. Uh, but it but it's just crazy, hyper accurate. And Oculus said, "Well, what if we just what if we just mess with an Android phone? Yeah. What, uh, if, until... what if we put a
0: Ocu- uh, Snapdragon in there and see what happens? Right.
1: Uh, Oculus learned a lot from that and built their headsets around those things. Whereas HTC decided that the commercial space was where they wanted to go. Yeah. And and, and I a a lot of very interesting things about like learning from. A, a consumer versus a commercial uh, came from those early years.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we saw HTC, who is arguably on the forefront of VR technology. You know, we've talked about HTC a lot already, um, and it and we saw HTC shift its less expensive Cosmos headset to a more of an enterprise application. And I was kind of wondering what the implica- implications were of that. Is enterprise the future of VR?
1: No, I, I think it's just a, a different uh, a different arm of the beast. You know, okay. uh, we we've seen, um, you know, Walmart, for example, uh, you know, bought a tremendous number of headsets in order to do, uh, you know, customer training, um, and and in some cases in even um, emergency and and uh, and and you know, rapid experience prototyping and things like that for its its store members, mm-hmm. so that you can put on the headset and and you know have someone come up and and talk to you in the headset and kind of navigate that. Um, you know, but but from that, you know, there there's also people who do just incredible amounts of design uh, inside of VR headsets. You know, there there are a lot of shops now, uh, a lot of like kind of high-end build shops that will do things like like prototype inside of a headset and then export from the headset to a to a, a commercial 3D printer. Mm, okay. Um, you know, so that there's never actually a a physical version of this thing that got prototyped until it uh, until it leaves a, a production stage. Um and all of that stuff is is you know different elements of converting this this VR thing to to real life it, in my very very spoiled fashion uh, have have whined for for years now about how badly I just want a VR tracked mouse and keyboard mm. uh, because the ability to put my headset on and not have a monitor in front of me but instead as many monitors as I want because they're they're all virtually placed in in different ways and I, and I could just look down and see a mouse and keyboard yeah uh, would be just it, it would just it would change the way that I worked, you know, it would, sure. it, would it would change a, a ton of things. Um, but, but there are so few people who have the, the combination of uh, willingness to pay for that and, uh, and, and desire to for do it. So, yeah, right. That it, it doesn't quite exist yet. And I feel the same way about HoloLens, you know, the, the big thing that I learned from wearing HoloLens for, for 24 straight hours was how impressive it was, to have all of these different applications at your beck and call in a way that was way more natural than reaching for a phone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in my kitchen. I love cooking all kinds of different things and uh, I always have uh, my my iPad uh, with me. Um, I'll, I'll grab something on Netflix or I'll watch a cooking show yeah, or something like yeah. while I'm doing something. Always some kind of. Sometimes it's background noise. Sometimes it's you know. But I'm always watching something mm-hmm. or listening to a podcast or, or something like that. But the, so the iPad's always there when I'm cooking, and uh, uh, you know I will still occasionally reach for my phone and check Messenger and, and do something like that. I was really amazed by how freeing it was to have Hololens on and still be able to see everything in front of me uh, but then glance up and Netflix is still there you know glance over to my left and my messenger is, is you know hovering above the the boiling pot yep um you know that being able to walk into a room and have your applications just exist on the wall any room anywhere you know customized to your your preference to have you know it's the it's the people who build smart mirrors in their bathrooms. You know, they, they walk in and there's the, the, the smart mirror, uh, you know, in, in your bathroom where it's got, you know, the, the weather and, and television and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but everywhere, every room, everywhere that you go, uh, and then, you know, pushing that the one step further and not needing a monitor because you've got a Bluetooth keyboard and that's, that's all you end up needing. Yeah. You pull out the Bluetooth keyboard and you put the monitor in front of you and it's, It's this incredibly freeing thing that when these headsets don't weigh four pounds and make your neck uh, feel like it's going to fall off at the end of the day, um, it's going to be a really powerful thing.
0: Right. Right. And that's that's going to be the big question. And and actually, that was the next question I was going to ask you, and I think you just answered it. Like, what do we need in order to get to that? Because that sounds amazing. I mean, that sounds – you're yeah. talking like Back to the Future 2 type stuff. But even, even – I think we've actually surpassed what uh, young Marty was doing in Back to the Future 2 at this point. Because, you know, I just think with like AR and with the VR headsets that we have, they're not that <laughs> – I, I should say the the headset that Marty McFly was that young Marty McFly was wearing in Back to the Future Two was probably what people in 1990 thought a VR headset would look like in 2015, exactly. and yeah. it turns out they weren't that far off, but they were uh, they were a little bit more chunky than what we have today. So, yeah, I mean, is it, is it just a question of balancing those right or making them lighter? I guess we'll just we're just going to have to see.
1: So- yeah, it's it's weight and empower, power, um, but also uh, we're we're in this really fascinating period for spatial computing, uh, where it's not just it's not just the device on our head. So five years ago, the concept was: what I need is this computer on my head that is. That is everything. It's the whole brain. It's the whole, you know, Mm -hmm. CPU storage. It is the phone, but it's on my head. And we're actually starting to see that that was wrong. Um, We're actually starting to see that what we want is a lightweight device that is smart enough to interface with all of the stuff around it, so that it is, so that the the brain is actually centralized. Yeah. Um, Okay. So that when you walk into a store, there's a uh, you know, there's an there's an advertisement somewhere for for a product that you like, and you, uh, you know, you you kind of take a picture of that product, and the details for that product are now are, are now saved somewhere because the exchange between your glasses, let's say, mm-hmm. and the you know the the advertisement, that information has been exchanged, and so now that that content is now waiting for you in your in your email for you to explore later, um, or for you to you know to walk around in a mall. And you know, kind of have favorites for you know movies you want to watch and and things like that, and have the advertising around you actually shift to what it is that you want to see versus the stuff that they think is tailored for everyone right um, the the computing uh, inst- you know we, we thought originally about the computing existing just on on your glasses and having all the work being done there, but when we see, uh, kind of the next stage. Everyone's so excited about the um, the the speed of five G networks. Mm-hmm. We hear a lot about how you know the the thing that's going to change five G is it, like any time a new five G phone comes out, the first thing that happens is some goober from Verizon or T Mobile runs a speed test on the phone and and look at how many gigabytes this is. Right. And honestly, that's not that's not the thing that matters. No, it's not. Um, the the speed is not the mesh networking that comes with 5G is tremendously more capable of, of making this kind of ambient computing thing happen, Yeah. Um, where all of these devices are talking to one another without you know, right now, if we have 10 devices in a room and we want them to talk to each other, they reach out to the router and then reach out to the device and reach back to the router and reach back to the device. Yeah. And it's this kind of back and forth thing. Right. The 5G network allows for an over the air mesh network so that my, my glasses are actually talking directly to your phone, the, the, the computer that I'm in front of, or my phone, or, you know, yeah. whatever the thing is that I want it to interact with. And so when we get closer to ambient computing, it becomes less necessary for the computer on your face to be this super powerful thing with a battery that's capable of driving it. And what actually becomes important is that it just be powerful enough to process, the be a data. part of that larger network, and be able to pro- yeah, to be able to process almost like Display almost like an Apple Watch or, yeah. or a smartwatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the. You know, we joked before about how you know having a smartwatch on your face was was basically what Google Glass did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- it was just a little too early. You know, if you had a mesh network across the world where you could interact with your car, uh, you know, if you could you could say you know people who own a Tesla and and Apple's glasses, for example, um, you know, if Apple's glasses were to come out tomorrow, there's no doubt in my mind that one of the first features that those you know who people who could afford a two thousand dollar set of glasses would would <laughs> want is the ability to go where's my car right and just by saying out loud where's my car the mesh network between the glasses and the car uh, you connect to one another and you now have a walking set of arrows like you're in a video game yeah yeah i see what you mean uh, that that leads you to your car and and it's because of that mesh network that's happened. so yeah I, I i think you know i 5 years ago if you had asked me this question you know as a as a google glass wearer at the uh, you know back when that was a thing I would have said, yeah, we just need processors to be more powerful. And we need a battery to power it, and we need it all to be lightweight enough that it all fits out in your head. Now, I, I think a lot more towards ambient computing. You know, I think a lot yeah. more towards a set of pretty lightweight glasses that aren't aren't as aren't anywhere near as powerful as my phone. Right. Um, because they don't have to. But are capable. Right. They're they're instead capable of existing in this kind of mesh network where the the computing is happening elsewhere.
0: That's fun. And actually, my final question for you was, what's the next big, big thing in VR? And I think we just talked about that. So and I and (laughs) and also at this point, I think I've kept you a lot longer than I promised I would. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and roll out the red carpet for you, friend. And I want you to tell everybody like where they can find you on the internets if they were so inclined
1: yeah, so you can find me. I'm uh, at Russell Holly on pretty much everything okay uh, Twitter you know Facebook, all of those things. Um, I probably do most of my random tech musings on Twitter I think as as most of our ilk tend to do.
0: yeah, yeah that sounds that sounds about right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Holly for coming on and for learning us all about VR and where it's coming from and where it's going and uh, that was uh, that was amazing. thanks uh, thanks again for coming on.
1: yeah thanks so much for having me, man.
0: So that's going to do it for this week's episode. I'd like to thank Russell Holly for jumping on and sharing his knowledge about VR, a.k.a. the world we'll all soon be living in if I have my way. I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes, but most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.